The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. I think at like 3 or 4 in the morning. And so just this week, take time, put in your calendar, pray for the mission team. We would greatly appreciate you doing that. This weekend, out of all weekends of the year, we recognize that we do not live in a perfect nation, but we do live in a great nation, a nation that is proud of its freedom. And we recognize that this freedom doesn't mean the absence of laws, but the existence of very wise laws in the land. Let me read to you some of those laws. Did you know that it is state law in North Carolina that a bingo game cannot last more than five hours. Did you know that in Quitman, Georgia, it is law that chickens are not allowed to cross the road? True story. In Texas, just so you know, it's against the law to sell your eyeballs. And so if you want to sell your eyeballs, don't go to Texas, all right? In Gainesville, Georgia... It is against the law to eat fried chicken with anything but your fingers. I'd I'd be doing pretty good there. North Carolina, on the other hand, I would not do so good because in North Carolina, it is against the law to sing off key. In Idaho, it's against the law for a man to give his fiance a box of candy that weighs more than 50 pounds, which I would also say is unwise. And in Arizona, it is state law that if you steal a bar of soap, your punishment is you have to wash yourself until that bar of soap is gone. Not only do we have great laws across the land, but we also have great laws here in Wisconsin. Like, did you know that it is state law that if you get apple pie at a restaurant, it is illegal for them to serve it to you without cheese? And it is against the state law to substitute butter or to to serve substitute for butter in restaurants unless requested by the customer. And it is even against state law to give a butter substitute in state prisons. And my favorite of the Wisconsin laws, did you know that in Wisconsin it is against state law to give a kiss on a train? Guilty as charged. If we're honest, laws are often stupid. Can we say that? My kids aren't allowed to say it, but I'll say it. Laws are often stupid. I mean, if you can't kiss on the train, why even go on a train, right? (laughs) We are skeptical of laws and 
Rightfully so. Many times they are outdated, they are unenforced, and they are just simply unintelligent. Today we are starting a series looking at God's law, the Ten Commandments. And many times we see God's laws just as we see man's laws. We are skeptical of them. We see them as outdated, unenforced, and simply unintelligent. But God's law is unlike any other law. God's law has proven itself not only to be true, but also to be good for thousands of years throughout every culture on the face of the earth. And so today we are going to start looking at something that is so good and so precious. We're going to be looking at the law of God. If you would, please open up to Exodus chapter 20. Verses 1 through 20 is what we'll cover today as we overview the Ten Commandments. It's page 61 in the Red Bible, page 98 in the Children's Bible. This series is going to last uh, 11 weeks. Again, we're going to overview the commandments today. And then every week we're going to go over uh, one commandment. And then in mid-September we'll start a new series uh, somewhere in the New Testament. But today we're going to look over and have an understanding so that we can grasp and understand how to receive the Ten Commandments. And so let's read together Exodus 20, verse 1 through 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord's name, the name of the Lord your God, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your, that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpets and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him 
may be before you, that you may not sin. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your law today, your Ten Commandments. And I think all of us come with a history. Some of us come with a history of being in churches in which these were bashed over our head. And they were oppressive to us. And so we come with, with, with some resentment and even bitterness and obstacles to receiving these. God, pray that you would free our hearts. Help us to understand them aright. And Lord, there are others of us who have been in churches in which the Ten Commandments were just completely disregarded because we thought that grace meant no law. And yet, Lord, pray that you would place upon us this desire to obey the commands, to know the commands, and to serve you as the Lord of these commands. Guide us over these next 11 weeks, Lord, to cherish your law, to delight in it, and to live it out in our lives, both for your glory, but also for our joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. By nature, we're not only suspect of laws. I think we also hate laws. I'll confess I hate the law that says you must go 25 miles per hour down a four-lane road. I hate the sign that says, stay off the grass when where I need to go is right there and I have to go all the way around. I hate the law that says no carry-ins allowed because it would be so much cheaper. Or the law that says no parking here or there or anywhere close to where you actually want to go. We hate obeying laws because laws oppose our will. They oppose our desire. They oppose our passions. Laws restrict us. They restrain us from being the authority in our life, from being Lord of our life. And so many times we don't just question the law, but we actually hate the law and we rebel against the law. Many times we war against God's law in the same way because we do not think God is a sufficient authority. And although we would never say this out loud, we think that we are wiser than God that God's laws are not that good, that we know what's better, what's more up-to-date, what's more current, what will give us happiness and joy. And we war against the law in our flesh. And because of that, we are baffled by passages like Psalm 1 and Psalm 19 and Psalm 119. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers. But listen to this. Blessed is the man who deli- his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not weather. In all he does, he prospers. Does that seem bizarre to you that meditating and delighting on the law of the Lord is what might give you life? Or or Psalm 19 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. If your soul is dead and you want to revive it, one way is by obeying 
the law of the Lord. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The law is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter than honey. You know, my guess is if we were walking down the street and we saw somebody say, I love God's law with all my heart. In your mind, you would think, I don't want to celebrate the 4th of July with them. (laughs) They're probably not a very fun person to be around. As a matter of fact, they're probably pretty legalistic. And yet here what we see is that those who delight in the law, who meditate on the law day and night are blessed. And it revives their soul. And so as we look through this series on the Ten Commandments, I really have two goals. The first goal is that we might understand God's law and the implications of it for our life. That's actually the easier of the two goals. That's intellectual, understanding what God says and what it means for our life. But the second goal is that we would see God's law as precious. That we would cherish it. That we would delight in it in our hearts. Now, in order to introduce the law, I want to cover two main things today. And we'll look at the first two verses of Exodus 20 later. But I want to look at the categories of the law and where the Ten Commandments fit into them, as well as the uses of the law. Why, are the, why is the moral law helpful to us and to society in general? And so first, let's look at the three categories of the law. If you've ever read through the later part of Exodus and Leviticus and some in Numbers, you'll see these laws that are very strange. And you probably wonder to yourself, does this apply today? How does this even matter to me? And do I just throw out the entire law of the Old Testament, only obey what's in the New Testament? Well, looking through the different categories of laws in the Old Testament is helpful in us understanding what applies and how it applies to us and how we should apply it to our lives. And so there are three different categories that theologians talk about in referring to the law. The first is the ceremonial law. Much of this is found in the book of Leviticus, and it talks about being ceremonially clean and how you cleanse yourself ceremonially, as well as what makes you ceremonially unclean. It tells us how the temple should be run in the Old Testament, how it should be decorated, what the priest should wear, what it means to consecrate something. But it also points to or talks about the sacrificial system. What should be sacrificed at what time for what sin in what place? Now, the sacrificial system, the ceremonial law, is something that we no longer apply today. And the reason for that is because it was all pointing to Jesus, pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who satisfied the sacrificial and ceremonial law completely. Hebrews 9 and 10 talks about it beautifully. But in Hebrews 10, it says this. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. You see, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament system made someone outwardly clean and ceremonially clean. 
And they had to be, they had to have sacrifices time and time and time again because they sinned time and time and time again. But Jesus Christ came and once and for all died to cleanse us from the inside out, to make us holy before God. And now there is no need for sacrifice because Christ was the final and complete sacrifice for our sins. And so the ceremonial law, which pointed to Christ, we no longer practice because it has been fulfilled in Christ. The second category of the law is the civil law. This is how Israel was governed as a political entity. Exodus 21 talks about this a lot. It talks about restitution. So what should the restitution be if my ox gores you? What should the restitution be if I dig a hole and I don't cover it and one of your animals falls in and dies? Or what should restitution be if my ox kills your ox? Those are things, again, that that are important to a society, to a political nation, but no longer apply to us today in the literal sense. Now we submit to the civil laws of the U.S. government as long as they don't call us to disobey God's moral law. With that said, the intent of this civil law still applies today. The intent of love, we call this general equity. For example, in the Old Testament, there was a law that on your roof, you're supposed to put a precipice around it or a fence to keep people from falling over because people would hang out on their roof to enjoy the breeze at night. And while we may not do that today, maybe we would put a fence around our swimming pool or around something that's dangerous in our yard to keep people protected that they wouldn't injure themselves. And so the intent of the law still applies that we would love people and care for people. Even even you think of the, the, the laws of restitution, maybe our law would not call us to help someone with medical bills if our dog bites them, but maybe we should just simply because we live by a law of love and a God of love. And so the civil law no longer applies today except through its general intent, and we obey to the laws of the land as long as they are submissive to the word of God. The final category of the law is the moral law. This addresses ethical principles that are true to all humanity throughout all of time. And the moral law is summarized in the Ten Commandments. That's actually a pretty impressive feat, isn't it? To take all of the moral laws and summarize it into ten easy-to-remember laws. There's a couple things I want to point out about the Ten Commandments, this moral law, that are important for us as we walk through this series. The first is this. There are two main subdivisions to the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments are focused on our vertical relationship with God. You shall have no other gods. You shall have no idols. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. The final six commandments are horizontal in their focus and how we are to love one another. Don't murder. Do not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false testimony. All good things for loving other people. Even the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He summarized it in this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so really, we can summarize all of it in these two commands. Even one command in loving the Lord your God. Because if you do that, you will naturally love your neighbor as yourself. The second thing we need to see about these Ten Commandments is whatever the command uh, commands, (laughs) the opposite is also true. And so, for example, next week, Chad will be preaching about the first commandment, 
which is you shall have no other gods before me, which means before my face. And not only should we do that, but we should also do the opposite, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Or you take the command, do not commit adultery. Not only are we to not commit adultery, but we are also to love the person that God put us with, to love our spouse sacrificially and generously. And so whatever the command commands, we're also to do the opposite. And the third thing is that the law is completely applicable today, this moral law. These laws have been on the hearts of men since creation. When Cain killed Abel, he knew he had done something wrong, even though the law was not written down for him. But here it is codified and put down that people may no longer be able to suppress the truth without seeing it clearly written out. The Ten Commandments still apply to the church today. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5, 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. If you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, obey God's law and teach others to do the same. And so those are the categories. There is a ceremonial law, which was completed in Christ and his sacrifice. There's a civil law, which the intent of love still applies to us today. And there is the moral law, which is binding and freeing for all of us here today. Now, with that in mind, those three uses of the law, I also want to look at, I'm sorry, the three categories of law. I also want to look at the three uses of the law, and this will help us understand and appreciate why the law is such a good thing. And the absence of the law would be absolute tyranny. I want to illustrate these three uses by uh, three illustrations, a, a muzzle, a mirror, and a map. Okay. First, the law is a muzzle. You know, muzzles are used on dogs that have anger issues Dogs that like to bite dogs or bite people. You've maybe heard it said that it is a dog-eat-dog world. But the reality is, dogs by nature are nicer than people. (laughs) Dogs usually are angry and bite people because they've been abused by people. You know, people are malicious, not because they've been abused, but because they were simply born. I mean, from a young age, you can see that children know how to steal candy. They know how to lie to cover it up. They hate others who have what they want. They covet their toys. They dishonor their father and mother. They rebel against their commands. And so by nature, we are prone to be sinful. We are prone to be wicked. We are prone to hurt others and hurt our relationship with God. And so God gives us the law as a muzzle to contain the destruction of our sinful hearts. You know, as adults, we don't grow out of this propensity, but we do a better job at maybe hiding it or 
curbing those passions. When, uh, when we drive along Webster, many times we'll drive, or on 172, we'll drive past the prison. And my kids will ask me, they'll say, Dad, what's that prison for again? And I'll tell them, I'll say, that's where adults go to time out for a really long time. And they'll say, what's it like in there? And I go, I don't know. And I don't want to find out. And neither do you. You see, it's, it's a muzzle. It's, it's a guard. It's, it's a protective device to say, do not disobey the commands that hurt other people because you will be punished for them. The law of God is written on every man's conscience and the way that every man was created in the image of God. And it is blurred and it is distorted and it is diluted in many ways. And yet we have a conscience that knows that it is wrong to murder, that it is wrong to steal. We still disobey it, but it is a muzzle to restrain the wickedness of society. And it is such a good thing. Let me, let me give you an example like this. Imagine the two ex- dreams. Imagine if we were completely unmuzzled as a people. Imagine if we followed every passion of our heart, every desire of our heart to the full extent. What would the world look like? It would be horrible. It would be completely in disarray. There would be complete carnage. It would be worse than it is even now. It would be the survival of the fittest, and there would only be one person left. But consider the opposite. Imagine if everybody obeyed God's Ten Commandments perfectly and without error. What would life be like? It would be paradise, wouldn't it? There would be no prisons. There would be no war. You wouldn't have to lock your doors at night. You'd be in perfect relationship with your family. There would be no family counseling. Taxes would be lower because we wouldn't need a military. I mean, if we obeyed the Ten Commandments perfectly, life would be glorious. And so you start to get a picture of the beauty and the glory and the grace of these laws and how they act as a muzzle upon society to keep men and women from doing what they want to do in their sinful nature. And so the law is a muzzle, but it's also a mirror. Now, a mirror's job is to reveal something you can't see. So yesterday I was cutting my hair and I cut my own hair. You probably noticed it's not the best, but it's okay. It works. I get a clipper and I do that. And it's impossible to do without a mirror because I can't see if I missed it here, there, or missed the hair there, or, or if I trend perfectly and back. And matter of fact, I need two mirrors to figure that out. And so a mirror reveals something that we cannot see on our own. And the law acts as a mirror to us. The law shows us something that our dimmed hearts refuse to see. And the first is this. The law reflects the holiness of God. God is invisible. We cannot see God. But if you want to know the holiness of God, all you have to do is look at the Ten Commandments because God keeps those perfectly. God is faithful. God is just. And God is loving. The law not only reflects the holiness of God, but the law also reflects the sinfulness of man. You know, just like I said, a physical mirror might reveal imperfections in your skin or in your hair or in whatever your complexion. The Ten Commandments act as a moral mirror that reveal the imperfections of our soul. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7 says, 
The law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. The law is good. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandments might become sinful beyond measure. You see, the law shows to us the wickedness of our own heart. Almost every person says, you know, I am a pretty good person. But the Ten Commandments show us that that is a complete lie. Maybe you are a good person compared to another person, but you are not a good person compared to the commands and the standards of God. For example, someone might say, you know, I'm a good person. I've never murdered anybody. But Jesus says, if you have hated someone in your heart, you are a murderer. Or you may say, I'm a good person. I've never committed adultery. And Jesus says, if you lust after someone in your heart, you are an adulterer. You know, if we had an honest assessment of our goodness based on the Ten Commandments, all of us would be sunk. All of us are labeled idolaters, blasphemers, fornicators, murderers, adulterers, thieves, and liars. That's who we are simply by the standard of the Ten Commandments. And what Scripture tells us and is summarized in Revelation 21 is that murderers, the sexually immoral, the idolaters, and the liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. If God took just the Ten Commandments and judged you by those Ten Commandments, His justice would demand that you don't go to heaven, but that you go to hell for all eternity. It is a mirror that reflects the sinfulness of man. But it also reflects the glory and our need for a Savior. Galatians 3.24 says, The law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, not by works, not by obeying the Ten Commandments, because we could never do it. The law is a mirror for our soul, revealing our weakness, our moral incapacity, our moral inability, thank you, our moral inability to attain our own salvation. We stand and we confess that we cannot merit and we have to wholly lean on Jesus' name. I have this trailer of rocks that I've been trying to move to my backyard and what I do is I'll wield up one of those yard wagons to it and I'll scrape a bunch of rocks onto it and it will get so heavy that the tires will actually start to sag a little bit. They'll get a little bit flat just under the weight of the rocks. And one of my kids came to me and they said, Dad, can I move the wagon? And I said, no, no, it's, it's too heavy. You can't do it. And they said, come on, I can do it. Please let me try it. Okay, what's it going to hurt? And so they get up there and they grab the handle of the wagon. They pull and they pull and they pull and they pull and the thing doesn't budge. And so I say, would you like Dad to help? Yes, please. You see, the wagon was a mirror of their own physical weakness to show them that they needed someone stronger than themselves. The law reflects our moral weakness, our spiritual weakness, our inability to, bury, to, 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 to carry the burden of the law upon our shoulders, that we cannot obey it, and it makes us point to another, to depend on another, to carry the law on our behalf, to look to Jesus, to satisfy God's law, to fulfill God's law perfectly, and to die on our behalf. And so the law is a mirror reflecting the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, and our need of a Savior. 
Our confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith, question 95, asks this question. Of what use is the moral law to all men? And the answer is this. The moral law is of use to all men to inform them of the holy nature and will of God and of their duty, binding them to walk accordingly, to convince them of their disability to keep it and of the sinful pollution of their nature, hearts and lives, to humble them in the sense of their sin and misery and thereby help them to a clearer sight of the need they have of Christ and of the perfection of his obedience. The law is a muzzle restraining society from complete carnage. The law is a mirror reflecting the perfection of God, the sinfulness of man, and our need for a Savior. And finally, the law is a map. It's a guide. It's a rule of faith. A map shows us the direction we should go. Exodus 20, 1 and 2. The preamble to the Ten Commandments starts this way. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. Right there, he could have launched into the Ten Commandments, but he didn't. The next part is absolutely vital to understanding the purpose of the Ten Commandments. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, why was it so important that God told them what happened? Why was it so important that God reminded them that they were slaves and that he had freed them? It's because the Ten Commandments were instructions on how to live as free men. You see, they had been slaves all their life. They had no idea what it was like to be free. They had no idea what it looked like to live free. And God says, here are my Ten Commandments. This is how free men live. And I have made you free. You've been set free. Now, Live free. Some of you may have seen the movie Shawshank Redemption. And there's a, player, there, there's a character in there played by Morgan Freeman, and his name is Red. And he's lit out of prison after decades of serving his time. And as he gets out of prison, he gets a job bagging groceries. And in one of the scenes, he turns to his clerk, who's about half his age, in front of all the people in the grocery store. And he says, Sir, restroom break? And the manager motions him over, and he comes close, and he says, you don't have to ask me every time you have to use the restroom. And so he goes to the restroom, and he looks in the mirror, and he says, 30 years, I've been asking permission to go to the bathroom. I can't go without saying so. You see, he, had, he was actually set free but he had to learn what it was meant to live free. He didn't have to ask permission. He could go to the restroom. He could live free. That's what freedom looked like. But he didn't know. In the same way, Israel was captive to Egypt. And they didn't know what freedom looked like. And so God offers the Ten Commandments and says, this is what it's like to be free. You know, God brings them out of slavery in a moment. But, he, but then he spends the rest of their life purging the slavery out of the Israelites. He was teaching them what it was like to be free. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, in your freedom. Stand firm in your freedom. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You see, we have not been set free to do whatever we want, 
to follow every desire of our flesh. But we have been set free to finally be human, set free to be what it means to be free, set free to be who we ought, who God created us to be. And God in his grace gives us a map through the Ten Commandments and says, this is what it's like to live out your freedom. In James 1, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he was like. Who are you in Christ? You are a child of the living God. You are his beloved. You are free. You see this through Christ. And yet if we walk away from God's commands and don't obey them, we live as an orphan. He goes on to say, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, not of burden, not of bondage, but the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You know, anybody can follow their own sinful desires. Only free people can follow God's will. If you follow God's will, if you've been set free by Christ, you're free to be under his lordship, free to worship God, free to enjoy God, and free to be with the God in intimacy who created you to live free. And so the law has three important uses, a muzzle to restrain the wickedness of society, a mirror to reveal God's holiness and our need of a savior and a map to guide us in our freedom. Let me end with this. Last night, like many of you, Trish and I took the kids and we went near downtown to go watch the fireworks. And to be honest with you, when I was about 19 years old, I kind of lost a, a, a enjoyment of fireworks, kind of seen it all and I grew up in a big city and there was these huge fireworks shows. And so fireworks were not all that great for me. I mean, if I went, great. If I didn't, great. I don't care. But all that changed when I had kids. You see, when I had kids, going to the fireworks became a lot more fun. Not because I enjoyed the fireworks, but because I enjoyed my kids enjoying the fireworks. Do you know what I mean? Or like parades. Parades are horribly boring unless you have kids, right? Without kids, parades are boring. With kids, parades are awesome because you enjoy them enjoying the parade. One of the ways our rebellious hearts can learn to love the law is simply by enjoying the one who created the law. Jesus in John 14 says something that is very abrasive and very direct but also very clear. He says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, there is a great motivation in obeying God. And it's to love the one who has loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. The only way your heart will be transformed to love the law of God is if you love the lawgiver, Jesus Christ himself. The Ten Commandments 
is the law of freedom. Freedom to celebrate Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to demonstrate your love for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your law, that it is more precious than gold, that it is sweeter than honey. What we say with our mouths, let us believe in our hearts. Let us enjoy it. Let us long for it. Let us meditate on it. Let us celebrate it as a good gift from a good God. We do not need to question it, Lord, because we know that you are perfect, that you are holy, and that you are loving. And so, God, pray that you would work on our hard, stubborn hearts. That we would delight in your law, Lord. Lord, I'm guessing for those of us here, maybe there is one law or two laws that we think, that's not for me. I can't do that. That's not the path of freedom. Lord, pray that you would give us time to sort through that, that you would conquer our hearts and show us that the path of freedom is through obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.